Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. So we've been producing our Growing Greater Philadelphia radio and podcast program now for just about a year. And we at Select Greater Philadelphia and our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia could not be more proud of this initiative. Our goal at Select, attract new businesses, new jobs, talent, and capital to our region. And we do that in part by showcasing the assets that make our community such a special place to establish and grow a business and a career. And we have found that one of the best ways to accomplish our goal is through storytelling, sharing the stories of business success and innovation, entrepreneurship, economic development, and so much more that's all happening right here. We share these stories and other nuggets of facts and information with people around the country and around the world who can tune in anytime and any place through our podcast. And like any good enterprise, we at Select Greater Philadelphia, we're now evolving our growing Greater Philadelphia radio program so it's even more targeted and more special. Moving forward, we will now produce only the podcast. And we are now calling this new production Growing Greater. We will continue to bring you amazing stories and inspiring stories of risk takers and innovators, investors and development projects and so much more. But this episode, it's our final installment of the radio program right here on 1210 WPHT. To celebrate this milestone transition, well, we're looking back on the past year of productions. And when I say we, I mean we are welcoming into the studio our stellar producer of this radio and podcast program, the amazing, the super talented, Elena Karmazin. Oh, Matt, you flatter me so. (laughs) Elena, welcome in. I know it's a little awkward for you to be on this side of the glass. You know, I'm definitely a little nervous. When we first talked about this idea, I was definitely hesitant, but... Knowing you and knowing how well you conduct these interviews, you're going to make me feel comfortable soon enough. I hope so. And thanks for that, Elaine. And I do want to acknowledge you have made this whole process over the past year super fun and super easy. You are a fantastic (laughs) producer. I love your creativity. I love your ear for storytelling. And I really love how you package everything together. It ultimately brings the listener into the story with us so that they feel like they're at the location that we're showcasing. It's really cool. Oh, Matt, I really, I genuinely appreciate that. And coming from you, that means a lot. I listen to your voice, dare I say, like 80 hours a week, and you make it truly easy to craft these stories. Thanks, Elena. And you make my job easy, too. So when we look back on this past year, we actually had so many great moments. It was really challenging to pick out a few of the highlights. We talked for hours on end, and this show could go on for hours on end, but we wanted to really highlight some of the standout stories that we have featured on the program. As we look back, let's start out with one of your favorites, actually. Share with us one of yours that kind of stands out for you. Yes, uh, the smile on my face could not be bigger. So the first story I really wanted to feature is a company called Yowie with Shannon Maldonado at the head. She's a creator, designer, maker, entrepreneur, and it's all happening in Philadelphia. That's right. She has a cool little shop right down on South 4th Street, just beyond 4th and Bainbridge. And she's also online, but she's kind of flipping it around by doing a little bit of bricks and mortar and also doing online, which is really cool. When I opened the shop, I really wanted the space to feel 
bright and clean and airy and modern. So while touring the space, she mentioned this really interesting phrase I had never heard of called wabi-sabi. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. Right? She designed her space in a wabi-sabi kind of eclectic way. Right. And I was so taken back by this concept, I entitled the entire episode wabi-sabi. And one of my favorite questions you ask in almost all your interviews to these entrepreneurs is how they came up with the name for their startups. And I remember Shannon had a pretty interesting answer. So, Shannon. Yowie. I love the way you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Share with us, what is Yowie? I said I love the way you say it because one of the reasons I chose the word Yowie is it's a very exuberant word. I feel like you say it with a positive inflection, even if you don't know what it is. It's like, yes, or wow, or yeah, it's just it, really it, upbeat. It, yeah, it drives um, you in that direction. Yeah, and I see myself as a very positive person, so it felt like a good connection. But I had about 130 names picked at one point, narrowed it down to 10, then to 5. Yowie is an Australian word in mm-hmm. context. It's their word for Bigfoot. So it's a mythological creature that lives in the woods. Wow. And I just thought it was really fun and kind of silly and since it's not a word that's native to here, it has no connotation. And people always say, what is Yowie? Sure. And in the context of our store, Yowie is a home and life shop. Okay. We specialize in art and design products that are handmade. And that can be anything from ceramics to art prints. We also sell independent publications and zines. And then we have a small line of artist series t-shirts that I work on with friends. We just have like wacky ideas and we print 10 to 20 t-shirts based on those ideas. One of the companies, Elena, that's really taken the greater Philadelphia region by storm is this coffee company called Saxby's. And you know, I say that like people don't know what Saxby's is because by now <laughs> everybody's aware of a Saxby's. They're on lots of different corners and they're really present. And as you discovered and as we discovered on the program in interviewing Nick Bear, who leads Saxby's, is that they're much more than just thinking about providing coffee to people. Absolutely. I mean, case in point, the episode's entitled The Human Condition. So we really learned about the human side of this business. And then for me personally, I was really excited about the story because I didn't even know Saxby's was in the greater Philadelphia region. I moved here about two years ago. I was living in Washington, D.C., and there's a Saxby's there. And I'm like, oh, Saxby's is always a D.C. coffee shop. It's so ingrained into the community there. So when we had the opportunity to feature the story in the greater Philadelphia region, I was taken back by it. I'm like, wait, Saxby's right, is here? Right, yeah, because it's, perfect. it seems like such a local community coffee shop. Totally. And I know that Nick made a conscious decision, I think it was about 12 or 15 years or so ago, to actually relocate the corporate headquarters for Saxby's and establish their roots right here in the greater Philadelphia region. And it's worked because they're really blossoming. And I know one of the other things that we hear from Nick is his passion for entrepreneurship and helping people. And he's done this in partnering with college campuses and the entrepreneurial communities within those college campuses. I think his first was with Drexel. And now mm-hmm. he has shops in Westchester, I think Lehigh and Millersville and a couple other colleges. And I think you actually had a chance to go visit one. Yeah, no, he has um, locations all over. And for this show, I went to one of their locations at Temple University ah, uh-huh. and I met with one of their SCEOs to learn about how she has benefited from this program firsthand. This might sound like any Saxby's where you get your morning latte. But what sets this shop apart? Well, it's managed by a student, or what Saxby's calls an S-CEO. Here's Julia, the S-CEO of Saxby's on Temple's main campus. 
I get to live and breathe hospitality every day. And yes, I serve coffee, but I get to interact with my guests and my team members, which is what like hospitality is about. Like it's it's about the guests and about the people. Nick Bear explains how Saxby's got involved with encouraging the entrepreneurial spirit. I truly believe that as human beings, it feels better to do something for someone else than it does to do something for yourself. So you can go and buy yourself a new pair of shoes and you can look down at your feet and be like, man, these things look awesome. They're going to look and feel less awesome tomorrow and even less so a month from now. If you do something nice and thoughtful for someone today, the memory and the feeling of that gets bigger and better over time. So I truly believe in one of our six core values is you serve yourself by serving others. So I believe that you can build businesses on that. And I, and I think that we're at the right time. We, we, you know, People like to call it double bottom line or triple bottom line or Bain, private equity likes to call it double impact. We're at the time now where capitalism is, is starting to really change. I think that the next generation of consumers and talent, the millennials, the Gen Z, are forcing this change where business has to be a vehicle for good. You have to put impact, whether that's environmental impact, whether that's social impact, at the crosshairs of financial profitability. Not one financial profitability comes first, and then hopefully you do some good things in the world. They have to be mutually aligned, the whole idea of double impact. And again, that's that's what I set out to do. That's why I wanted to be a business person. I wanted the challenge of business, and I wanted to leverage the, the success of business to make major social impact in this world. One of the cool things we really experienced by interviewing so many different CEOs and entrepreneurs and startups is just how important that team, that collaborative organization is to deliver success for any company. And that's true whether the person is in the C-suite, whether they're on the loading dock, whether they're in the mailroom, every little interaction for every employee across an organization really matters. Now you can kind of see the full scale of what we're doing here, right? So they're loading up the trucks for tomorrow. But you have your bay doors over here, about six bays, all Kafka owned and branded trucks. Some of our guys are on the move out here. At the Kafka offices in North Philadelphia, it's truly a one-stop shop. From the in-house designers to the showroom to the warehouse, all aspects of Kafka's services are under one roof, creating a true sense of community throughout the company. Our tour of this impressive operation included their warehouse with thousands of different pieces of furniture all ready to be loaded up onto Kafka delivery trucks by the friendly team of employees who will proudly represent Kafka when they arrive at their clients' offices. So, Joan, help us understand and appreciate that real nuanced, important work that you and your team do every day. Explain for us how your Kafka team really helps to shape the culture for your clients. To be successful in what we do, you really need to understand your client. You need to understand who they are and what they're trying to accomplish with their space. Is their space about impressing and, and winning clients? Is it about retaining their own people? Is it about attracting the brightest and the best? And frankly, every organization should have a part of that inside their organization. Mm-hmm. But your furniture is going to help you create culture. It's going to help you create an environment that does help you attract the brightest and the best and does help you retain talented individuals. It's not just about a chair and a desk. It's about creating that space that really helps you create that culture, that, mm-hmm. that helps you build that culture. 
So that's Joan Waters. I loved the conversation that we had with Joan Alina. I don't know how well you remember this, but she is passionate about what we're doing. And Joan came here actually in 1988 because she was working in New York and was recruited to come here. And once she learned about the Einstein family who started in the mid-1940s, this company called Kafka, she was really taken with their business model. And equally important, she just felt this connection to greater Philadelphia and has been here ever since. And it's really inspiring. Today, she's actually one of the owners. I think she is the owner of Kafka because the family actually handed the reins of the company over to Joan. That's mm-hmm. how much they value and respect each other. And they've just really established themselves here and they continue to grow here. Yeah. And what makes Kafka so great is this organization has been here through all the peaks and valleys in our greater Philadelphia region. And it's a testament to the Kafka team that they continue to operate right here on North American Street. It's actually hard to match Kafka's commitment to the community. They really have invested over time. And there are several other examples that stand out for me that we had the privilege of interviewing leaders from our business community right here on the program. And one that really pops, Deloitte. They have something called the Deloitte Academy. And we were able to connect with a colleague at Deloitte. His name is Reese Blair. And Reese came into the studio and shared with us the vision they have for Deloitte Academy. But equally important, he brought with him a colleague named mm-hmm. Abel Jose Perez. Do you remember this? This was one of the best experiences I had actually recording the interviews because it was a real turning point for us on the program because we talked about this great program and how it impacts many lives, but we actually had an individual who was impacted by the program come onto the show, this case being able, and talk about his own experiences. When you talk with other companies, what would you tell them about embracing a program like Deloitte Academy? Sure. I would say, honestly, that relationships are the currency of the future. Right. And and what we're doing is we are investing in that currency with Deloitte Academy. And what we see is an opportunity to really influence and make a significant, profound impact on moving the needle with addressing some of the challenges that we face as a region around developing the workforce of tomorrow. Right. But it starts one relationship at a time. Right. And so what I would say to these companies are, you know, don't talk about it. Get involved. Right. Figure out how you can get connected to some of the folks that are plugged into this program that have created the blueprint, if you will. I mean, we this is literally something that, again, one of the things that we thought about when we launched it was how can we make this repeatable? How can we make this scalable? So if you're a, a small startup or if you're a large multi-billion dollar company, you know, this can be scaled to your organization. And again, the stickiness comes from it not being a one and done you know, you show up and, and again, I would not take anything away from those programs. They, they're very meaningful. They, they make an impact. You certainly can inspire a student to, you know, now that they've seen this individual, that could transform their lives, that one-time impact. But what we've seen time and time and time again, just over the, the decade plus that we've seen this program, is that the relationships are formed over time, right? It's like a good meal. You can't just stick it in the microwave and push a button. If you want, if you want that really good meal, you have to put some love and care and, and, and give it some time to, to really you know, set it and let those ingredients come together. One of those people whose life was transformed by this unique program and whose voice we heard a little earlier is Abel Jose Perez. He explains how mentorship shaped his life personally and professionally. So I grew up here in Philadelphia, went to school in Kensington International Business High School. And going into high school, I didn't really think about going to college because my mentality wasn't there. You know, I didn't see it in my family. 
my family members, none of them went to college. Just a few graduated high school, and I didn't really see myself going to college. The impact of a program like Deloitte Academy and how it really affects individuals is really inspiring, and it really captures that spirit in greater Philadelphia of how people like to help each other. And one of the things that really stands out for me, Elena, is this balance between the investment of time and resources that big corporations make and how it balances so well with this kind of cool startup ecosystem that we have going on, too. Absolutely. And the startup ecosystem, as you mentioned, is really big and really thriving in the greater Philadelphia community. For sure, yeah. And I had no idea until we actually started the show and looking into these stories. And one of those great stories that came out of that research is League Side. Oh, yeah. I love those guys. And I love how we start into these stories too, like League Side. It's really cool. Yeah. That team of League Side out, they're operating today out of 4040 Walnut Street, in part because they got connected with a venture capital organization run by Josh Koppelman. It's called First Round Capital. And the team at First Round, they saw this nugget of something that they thought League Side had. And they said, you know what? We want to invest in that. And it was a really inspiring conversation. You remember. We had Evan and Zubin come in from right. League Side. Yep. And those guys, they were something else, let me tell you. Their passion for their company was so evident and I loved how they talked about how it's not always easy working with a partner. Evan, so you're in Detroit. Zubin, you're in New Orleans. Nice draw. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you're you focused on your respective projects through Venture for America and for about 18 months or so it sounds like you're bouncing these wacky ideas off of each other and that's generally speaking through a text or through an email or through a phone call. All the, All above. the above. Yeah. So where I'm going with this is Evan walks out of this basketball tournament in Detroit. He's really inspired. He has this this, I think this might be it moment. And he calls you. What was your reaction when Evan kind of presents this idea? I think what makes Evan and I such a good duo is we argue a lot, both over ideas, we poke holes in each other's assumptions, all the above. So the first thing I started doing is poking holes in the assumption. Are we going to be able to convince these regional national companies that sponsoring youth sports leagues is effective marketing? And then on top of that, are we going to be able to coordinate and work with all these volunteers across all these organizations to actually launch these campaigns at scale. And Evan and my startup root said the best way to answer that question is just start talking to people. And I'll take it a step further. Market research is great and necessary, but I think something we did well is we created an MVP, a minimal viable product, and went for it. Oftentimes in entrepreneurship, you see people spend too much time on building the perfect product. Mm -hmm. We kind of just went out and started selling. We started talking to brands and selling youth sports sponsorship campaigns to see if a regional or national company would buy it. So that's exactly what Zubin was saying, not just talking to marketers in a sense of, do you think this is a good idea? Right. But actually seeing if they would give us dollars in order to sponsor youth sports leagues. I really was inspired by the story of Evan and Zubin and how they came together and equally important, how they're helping youth sports, but also helping companies hit their target audience. It's really an inspiring story of entrepreneurism. And we have so many of those. And the next one that we're going to showcase is also this really cool story of two young entrepreneurs who had a chance to meet in a kind of random encounter. They just crossed paths in mm -hmm. life and they've launched this new initiative where they're taken a well-established product that's been on the market for like 40 or 50 years and they're looking through a different lens and saying 
how can we do this better? And that's exactly what's happening with Leah Diagnostics. Oh, Matt, I know exactly where you're going with this story with Bethany and Anna. This story was so fun to tell and so revolutionary what they're doing. Totally. But what really stood out for us during the interview was how they actually met or that chance encounter. So they both went to Temple University for their undergrad, not knowing each other at all. They go away for a couple years in the business sector doing different things. Then they both go to the University of Pennsylvania for an MBA program, still not knowing each other. And then boom, they get together and then they create Leah Diagnostics, which was so funny because there were so many different instances where they could have met and they could have crossed paths, but they didn't up until the right moment in time. So um, I actually remember sitting in class when Bethany pitched the idea. We were in an ideation session in a design class, and there were a lot of different avenues on the sustainability and healthcare side that Bethany was looking into. And when she said flushable pregnancy test, everybody in the class just said, of course. I mean, it's the type of product that you can't believe it didn't exist already. Right. And in my mind, that means it's the type of product that really deserves to exist in the world. Take us, Bethany, back into that ideation room that Anna had mentioned. Is it three people? Is it a classroom full of mm. uh, 20 people? Yeah, I and, think it was probably it was about yeah. 20. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about 20 yeah, people. About 20 yeah. people. Yeah. So it was yeah. just, just kind of like, uh, you know, we're brainstorming some ideas, or was, is this more of a presentation that you were required to do? And, yeah. you know, the, here's my idea. Yeah, much more of a presentation. Okay. So the initial crux of the idea started with the idea of temporality. And I kind of mentioned this before, but this idea, it came from a quote from Richard Fry. Um, he's part of the Industrial Society for America, and, and he was referencing this idea that we shouldn't be so focused on making products recyclable, but we should be focused on making them so temporary that they're disposable. And so it really started more from that initial insight. And Mm -hmm. then from that insight, we really looked at, well, where where could that idea be applied that would um, be of most benefit? And so single-use diagnostics, like I mentioned, became really, really interesting, um, both from the medical waste perspective, but also from the other interest on the market piece as well. And speaking of the University of Pennsylvania, where Bethany and Anna met to create Leah Diagnostics, we had the chance to go on the road for the very first time and take the Growing Greater Philadelphia Radio and Podcast to the Pennovation Center. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I always loved when we would take the program on the road. It was really cool. And in this case, we had the chance to interview, I think we interviewed four people at Pennovation, including a couple of the startups that are operating out of Penn. But we also had the chance to sit down with Craig Cornaroli. And in the spirit of transparency, Craig is on our select advisory board. But more importantly, Craig is one of these folks in the greater Philadelphia region that invests so much time and creativity and innovation to transforming our community. And I'm not just talking about University City and West Philadelphia. I'm talking about the city of Philadelphia overall and frankly across the region because what happens out of Craig's office and out of the University of Pennsylvania overall has this really tremendous ripple effect onto the economic vibrancy of our community. And the Pennovation Center itself is truly remarkable and the work coming out of there is so exciting. Like the printing of human 3D cells What's just casually happening not that far from our studios right now is truly incredible. And it's really transforming a stretch of industrial land where you wouldn't necessarily typically think an incubator hub to be. While Penovation is an incubator, 
it's a little more sophisticated than this startup garage look and feel that we all may imagine. On the north facade of the building, a specially designed glass feature illustrates the forward-looking spirit that really embodies this space and that complements but also disrupts the classic university aesthetic. And when you walk inside and traverse the halls and stairways, you can see, feel, and actually hear the lively activity. Everything from drone testing to the 3D printing of human tissue. And we'll explore that amazing activity a little bit later. Craig details how Pennovation has evolved into a core component of Penn's vision for their future. Well, ironically, I have to say this falls in the category of more opportunistic than it does that we were strategic. And that, um, as you know, we've been trying to build strength in our engineering capacity, particularly around nanotechnology. And so we were actually searching for a spot to relocate all of the buses and vans that were parked on the site where we ultimately build the nanotechnology building. So in truth, we stumbled upon this opportunity um, but that's okay how you get there doesn't matter as long as you get there um, and so at the time DuPont was rethinking their operations so this site had the, the 23 acres but it had some buildings that sort of as the, in the parlance goes had good bones that we were able to repurpose so it had some good warehousing labs, office um, R&D space like the space we're in right now at the Penovation Center center, um, but it clearly gives us capacity to grow. And concurrently, while we're doing that, uh, our good friends at PIDC were reimagining the Lower Schuylkill, and they very much resonated, as did we, with the notion of this being uh, a key driver of reimagining the Lower Schuylkill as an innovation hub. That transformation of that old industrial site out in University City that's now Pennovation, it's not that actually uncommon. I mean, it is unique, don't get me wrong, but that spirit of innovation and transformation, we can see it all over the greater Philadelphia region. And one that really stands out for me, we had this great conversation with Dan Hilferty. Mm. He leads Independence Blue Cross and the Independence Health Group, which actually influences and provides health care across, I think it's 37 states, something like that. You know, it's just a small company yeah. you may or may not have heard of. That's right, that's <laughs> right. But we all know it is Independence Blue Cross in Greater Philadelphia, but it also has a ripple effect across the region. And the other thing that really stands out for me about this great conversation with Dan and how he's transforming the delivery of healthcare is we did it in front of a live studio audience. Oh my God, so nerve-wracking. I remember, it was the first time we did it, so you know there was a lot of unknowns and we were yeah. really privileged to sit down at Independence. They have this facility there called Independence Live. And we had an audience of about 60 people where Dan and I had a chance to kind of present his story. And what took me back is how candid he was during that conversation. One of the questions I love that you asked him was, who were the key influencers in his life? My mother was, uh, she passed away about six years ago. Mm. She was all of five foot one. And she, she was a firebrand. I mean, you didn't mess with my mother. And that started with her own children. It's interesting when the breadwinner passes away at a young age for, of a family's cycle, and it's the father in this case. My mother had such a key role. And I didn't really, I thought we had everything that anybody could want and live comfortably. We moved 11 times. Now, nine times during the time that I was before I went to college. But if you count, 
after the college years, 11 times. Wow. We would rent houses, right. and then we would, the kids would notice boxes showing up. Right. And she'd save boxes, and we, we'd all know we're moving soon. Yeah. And uh, the day we would move, the electrician's truck would show up, the plumber's truck would show up, the undertaker's truck, which is around right in the center of town. And then there was a, an uncle of ours that was in the coffee business, and mm. his truck would show up. And right. they would be there to move my mother. Right. And we'd go to school, and as we're walking out, she would say, uh, today, get off the bus at 3rd and Central. Right. And you knew, okay, we know kind yeah. of where our house is going <laughs> to be. be. Right. And you'd get off the bus, you'd walk in that house, and she would have, although the layout was different, your room would be set up as close to... Right. You know, and we reflect, we, my siblings and I talk yeah. about this, yeah. we reflect back on that. And she, uh, she instilled in us, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and say, I don't want to go wash dishes at the chatterbox. Right. Go to the chatterbox. Right. Or, you know, I'm not going to work. No, get a paper route. Get this. She, yeah. she was very, very strong-willed around us having a work ethic. But then also, she was our biggest supporter. Elena, thanks for joining me on this look back over an amazing year of interviews for our Growing Greater Philadelphia radio and podcast program. It's been really fun. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope our listeners have as well. Oh, Matt, it's been an experience to be on this side of the glass, but no, this has been so much fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) You know, folks, as I mentioned at the start of the program, moving forward, we're now going to produce only our podcast, and we're now calling this production Growing Greater. We will continue to bring you amazing and inspiring inspiring stories of risk takers and innovators and investors and development projects and so much more. But as I mentioned, this episode, it's our final installment of the radio program right here on 1210 WPHT. But the podcast, we're really excited about the future. And that's the beauty of podcasting. People can truly access information and entertainment on demand wherever and whenever they want. Absolutely. So in closing, the investment of time and resources to produce this program, it's really significant. And none of this would have been possible without the great and fabulous and wonderful producer, Elena Karmazin. Thanks again, Elena. Our select Greater Philadelphia and Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia team, especially Mari Juarez and the other behind-the-scenes colleagues in our marketing and creative services team. And also the team right here at Entercom, Jared Hart, Mary Kelly, Jim Brown, who's transitioned on to other greener pastures, if you will, but has been really influential in helping us get this program up and running, and the entire Entercom regional market leadership team. And I want to give a special shout out, especially to the all-knowing, the super talented Frank Canal. Equally important are underwriters who believe in what we do at Select Greater Philadelphia. Each of our investors and our partners are key to our success. And there are several who really stand out when it comes to this particular program. I want to start out with a special thanks to General Building Contractors Association, also known as GBCA. Their support of this radio and podcast program and of our NBC10 television program, we couldn't have done it without GBCA. Next up, Dan Fitzpatrick and his great team at Citizens Bank. Dan is so committed and so invested in the greater Philadelphia region, it's truly inspiring. And we can't thank Dan and his leadership at Citizens Bank enough for helping us do what we do every day at Select Greater Philadelphia. 
and a couple other contacts. We have Culinart, who came on board as a supporter. They are providing outstanding food service at higher education institutions and corporate settings all across the greater Philadelphia region. And lastly, Associated Builders and Contractors of Eastern Pennsylvania. Their chair, John Mast, who's with the H&K Group, and Joe Propelia, who leads ABC, have been instrumental in helping us tell the stories right here on Growing Greater. As I mentioned, moving forward, our Growing Greater podcast is accessible wherever you get your podcast and on our Select Greater Philadelphia website. That's selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. And you can watch the Growing Greater Philadelphia television program on NBC10. There are six dynamic episodes on NBCPhiladelphia.com slash news slash Growing Greater Philadelphia. And there are more television segments to come. If you want to help grow our regional economy, get involved with Select and support our efforts by becoming an investor or an emissary. Facts about the region and information about Select, it's all available on our website, selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.